0: The Fly Girls' Revolt, the story of the women who kicked open the door to fly in combat with retired Colonel Eileen Bjorkman. Right here, right now, on
1: VT Radio. Let's go. With host Johnny Punish.
0: We're on VT Radio. I'm here with retired Colonel Eileen Bjorkman. Eileen, are you there? I'm here. Fabulous. So great to have you on VT Radio. Uh, You know, tonight we're going to talk about your new book, The Fly Girls Revolt, the story of women who kicked open the door to fly in combat. I'm so happy to have you. It's an awesome subject. Um, But before we go into it, I just want to talk about, this is the 30th anniversary of women in combat, uh, and we want to share your story about this. Uh, 30 years ago, Secretary of Defense Les Aspen ordered the military to train women for combat aircraft. Uh, the same month, General Merrill McPeak, Chief of Staff of the U.S. Air Force, introduced the first three women fighter pilots to the public. And they were Lieutenant Jeannie Flynn, Martha, Lieutenant Martha McSally, and Captain Sharon Pressler. And, and that's kind of how we're going to start today. I, I want to talk about the history of women in combat and the history of fighter pilots in combat, uh, because let's let's start with that and we'll go forward. So, so tell me more about the history of women in combat, because it's a really big subject It's the the debate's been going on for many, many years, and I want to know where we're at. So let's go start with the history. Go ahead and tell me about it.
1: Okay, so um, so women first served uh, in officially in the military as other than nurses, starting in World War II, Um, but they didn't go into combat. And then after the war. uh, Uh, The military leaders wanted to keep women around because they saw how valuable they were. Uh, So Congress passed a law that allowed women to continue serving in the military, but they also passed a law saying that women couldn't be in combat. They couldn't fly combat aircraft. They couldn't serve on combat ships. and, And the Army agreed to not allow women in combat. So um, so fast forward uh, into the 70s, more women started coming into the military. And, uh, and so the services started training women uh, to fly airplanes and to do other jobs that were closer to combat, but they still didn't let them be in combat and then, uh, in a nutshell, when the uh, Persian Gulf War uh, kicked off, 1990-1991 uh, timeframe, it became very obvious that women were in combat. You know, even though they weren't officially in combat, they were being shot at. They were doing things. You know, they were they were being put in harm's way, and and so after that. The uh, some legislation was passed to first lift the laws, and then it took a couple more years. But then finally, uh, two years later, they uh, they allowed they agreed to allow women to fly combat aircraft and serve on uh, combat ships. So that was kind of the beginning, if you will. So yeah.
0: So were were the attitudes after World War II? Was that just society attitudes towards women in general? Uh, because obviously they, they used to have what they, I think called the wax, right? The the women. Yes. Yeah, right. So, so uh, was that just a general society attitude towards women? Because we have a lot of younger viewers now that are listening that maybe not know the history of that. Um, tell me more about the society changing attitudes towards women in combat.
1: Yeah, so it was it was primarily a societal thing, a cultural thing at that time. I mean, there were women in other countries who did serve in combat roles during World War II. Uh, in particular, the Soviet Union had quite a few women pilots, and there were other uh, other countries the, the the UK in particular had uh, women who served in air defense units so there were women who served in combat roles but in the United States they just didn't even want to consider that you know it was like no the wars over all you women go back to the house you know <laughs> and you know because they weren't just women serving in the military as you know you know there were women you know riveting airplanes and doing all kinds of things to support the war effort and uh, but when the war was over it was time to, for everybody to go home and you know get back into their their traditional roles. And so, so so that was really the most
0: best uh, type of attitude of the 50s. Exactly. Right. You know, put your apron on and be a good, dutiful housewife type of thing.
1: Exactly. So, but um, you know, and it's hard to say, you know, I haven't really studied the history of the, the women's movement in the United States completely, but, um, but, but, There a lot of people think that, you know, because women got to do things in World War Two, they hadn't been able to do before, then they didn't want to go back to those roles. Right. You know, there were a lot of women did. But, you know, there were a lot of women who were like, hey, you know, I want to do more now. (laughs) And so and so that kind of, I think, helped to, you know, you know, help women to just start demanding more, if you will. And then the whole women's movement started in the early 60s, you know, kind of along with the civil rights movement. There's really kind of a lot of parallels, you know, between uh, women, women's history and the uh, history of African-Americans, you know, in the early 60s and kind of both of those movements going along at the same time. Uh, Speaking of
0: that, let's talk about the pushback because there's a lot of, I mean, I'm, I don't know what generation I'm in. I'm, I'm 59 years old. Um, I don't know what generation that is, but the generation before me was pretty negative on this issue. I would say, you know, in terms of women in combat, right? And as yes. my generation came along, now of course the young people today don't have any of those um, axioms, those 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 things that are. Uh, the way they see the world, so to speak, you know. Um, so I think it's uh, it, the future is bright. I mean, I, I love, I love, I love the young people's attitudes towards everything. You know, I really do. I know a lot of the older people are compla- complaining about them. They're this, they're that, they're this. No, I don't. I, I'm not. I'm not one of those guys. I think the future is bright for the young people, uh, and I definitely have a different attitude, a more uh, enlightened attitude towards the way things are. Right. So tell me more about um, the pushback. I mean, how do how did that how was that overcome by women uh, who are seeking to be, uh, you know, fighter pilots or combat veterans or things like that?
1: So a lot of it, a lot of it happened very gradually. And a lot of it was just from women continuing to perform and do their jobs and do them well. And, you know, commanders saw this, you know, military commanders. Uh, you know, they may have had some of their own, you know, cultural biases, you know, in terms of women should be in the kitchen, you know, and that kind of thing. But but they saw that women could do the job and, and they wanted them. And, and in a lot of cases, women brought fewer problems uh, along with them than men did. You know, they had fewer disciplinary issues. Uh, in many cases, they were better educated. They had to meet higher standards to be able to get into the military in the first place because there were so few of them. Um, and so commanders really liked them and, and they wanted to give them more responsibility. And so, again, it was just sort of a gradual uh, gradual creaking, open the door, if you will. <laughs> you know, it wasn't like this big kick, you know, it was really just this gradually things just got better and better and better. And, and women became more demanding, too. You know, they started to file lawsuits, they were writing their congressmen, you know, all those kinds of things to say, hey, you know, I should be able to, to do more in the military. Um, and then uh, the real big uh, push, though, came after uh, the ERA uh, passed out of Congress It was never enacted, but the services, you know, they reacted as though it would be, you know, uh, ratified, you know, and put into the into the Constitution. Yeah, they they almost immediately started to bring more women in because they they thought that, oh, my gosh, you know, this is it. You know, we're going to we're going to have to do this anyway. So and then and then the draft ended. And uh, the draft ended in 1973, and so all of a sudden, you know, people didn't need to join the military anymore, and uh, and so uh, they went to the all volunteer force. And and part of that shortfall, uh, part of that was made up by more women coming in. So. Um, so again, it was just kind of this gradual push. And then again, as women started coming in, more women came in. Well, we should probably open up opportunities to them. You know mostly they had served in admin roles, you know, pr- and support roles, and they started to give them more operational jobs, maintenance officers, you know, and then training for you know pilots, navigators. And so, like I said, it was just sort of this really gradual, you know, crescendo, if you will, you know, over, 30, 40 years um, until the final push. So, yeah.
0: Question for you. Why do you think the U.S. was late to the game? Now, you mentioned the fact that uh, other countries were, uh, women were uh, participating in combat and in, in, in flying planes and things like that, the U.K., Russia, et cetera. Why was the U.S. late to the game?
1: The, I think the U.S. was late to the game primarily just because we didn't, it, there was no urgency for us. We had enough men. We were not actually being bombed. You know, we were over here in the United States, kind of cut off from the the rest of the war. Uh, the UK was getting bombed on a daily basis. You know, and and uh, the Soviet Union, uh, you know, they were in the middle of of everything, and and they, you know, they they started, they recognized early on that they were going to have to bring the whole country to bear, and and women were part of that part of that solution, and and we did that to some extent in the United States, but we we mostly kept the women in the us the women who did go deploy overseas were you know kept from the the front lines you know kept out of direct combat
0: right so, so basically um, for me it's it's the right person for the right job so to speak uh, that's kind of how I see things I mean not all size fits one thing right I mean right. there are women women who are right for the job and there are men who are not right for the job um, so putting everybody in one category is the weirdest thing to me. But it wasn't weird back then, right? I mean, people just wanted to separate. No, no women allowed. I don't want no women. I don't want them in the trenches. I don't want to, I don't want to see them. I don't want to talk to them. You know, it was kind of this weird attitude, right?
1: Right, right. It's, here's the women's jobs. Here's the men's jobs. So yeah, that was kind of the attitude. Let's, yeah. talk,
0: let's talk specifically about fighter pilots because um, that's what we're here to talk about. It's, it's a more specific area. Um, the first women fighter pilot was who? And when did that come about?
1: So that was uh, Lieutenant Jeannie Flynn, and so she went through pilot training in uh, 1992 so the policy had changed um to no, i'm sorry the the law had changed but the policy had not yet so um so she knew that when she got to to pilot training and she was hoping that the policy would change and so when they were when it was getting time for uh, the, the class that she was in they they get to list the planes that they want to fly and the Air Force is going to assign them to you know based on needs and what's available you know that kind of thing so um, but she was a number one uh, the number one graduate in her class and so she got the first pick uh, for an airplane. And there was an F-15E, uh, that's the fighter airplane that's on the, the cover of the, the book at the top. And um, she wanted to fly that. And, and if she had been a man, she would have gotten it. You know, it was, it was available and, and she would have gotten it. So, so she asked for it. And, of course, they said, sorry, you know, women can't fly in fighter airplanes. And, and, um, but this was in January of 93. And everybody knew that the policy was probably going to change because the Clinton administration had, had come into play and they expected the Clinton administration to, you know, to, to allow women to, to start flying air, uh you know, fighter and combat aircraft. And, and um, so anyway, so they, they turned her down, they assigned her a, a, a KC 10 tanker to March air force base. She actually started heading that way. And then they said, you know, this policy may change, and we don't want her to start that training. So they brought her back to be an instructor pilot in T-38 training airplanes. Like they kind of put her in a little bit of a holding pattern, uh, cause they were kind of waiting to see what happened. And, and sure enough, in April, the, uh, the policy changed. And so, um, so they uh they actually went through the records they knew the policy was about to change so they went through the records of women who had already been through pilot training who would have been offered a fighter uh you know because they had scored because they were high in their class and so they they found seven women who wanted to become fighter pilots from that group and she was one of them so and so she was the first one that actually went off to to training so So
0: she's the trailblazer
1: She's the trailblazer. Yes. Okay. So yeah. And, and
0: where do you fit in? What's your experience with, uh, you know, flying planes and, and fighter pilots?
1: So I was not a pilot. My eyes weren't good enough to go to pilot training. Um, so I became a flight test engineer instead, uh, which the a flight test engineer flies in the backseat or the back end of airplanes, um, helping to run tests, uh, collecting data, uh, you know, helping the pilots you know do whatever you know whatever needs to be done to help out with a particular test and uh, so as because of that the airplanes that I flew were not considered combat aircraft even though they were fighters I flew in the backseat of f4s and f-16s but they were considered test airplanes so they weren't combat uh, they weren't combat ready you know they couldn't go to war because they had they were they were being tested and um, so I was very lucky that I got to fly in fighter aircraft even though they weren't technically combat aircraft so.
0: Right. Well, I mean, not every role on the plane is, is the pilot, right? There's the, whereas right. um, the navigators, the weapon systems officers, the gunners, the air refueling boom operators, yes. loadmasters, <laughs> linguists. I mean, on and on and on. Yes. You can be not one thing. You can be a few things. Right? Is that how it works?
1: Yes. Yes. There's many, many, many roles, and yes, yeah, that, that's one of the things I try to point out in the book. Is you know, it's not just about pilots. your pilots are the kind of what the public thinks of. You know, when like the they top think top about
0: person, right? Uh, right. Actors, right. <laughs>
1: Yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> not quite Tom Cruise?
1: <laughs> oh, no, 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 I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, not quite Tom Cruise. No, <laughs> but yeah. We just have that yeah, new that's movie of Top of,
0: Gun Maverick yeah. come out. Sp- yeah. Speaking of Top Gun women, um, so is there a system where do they separate the women from, from the men in terms of rating them, or is just the rankings are just across the board?
1: It's just across the board. So, yeah, there. It, there was a time when women were rated separately from men. In the other services, the Air Force never did that. The Air Force always had women competing directly with men, which actually kind of hurt them, you know, back in the back in the day. Um, But um, but the 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 Air Force believed that even though women might get ranked lower, they thought it was they were worried that they would put um, limitations on the number of numbers of women who could be promoted if they were ranked separately. So so they felt it was better to go toe to toe with the men. Uh, you know, even though they were, you know, probably discriminated against, but the other way they would have been explicitly discriminated against because they would have been told, oh, you can only promote, you know, half as many as the the men, excuse me.
0: Okay. So, so I also want to talk about the uh, tailhook scandal. A lot of people may or may not remember that. I don't know if they do or not, but we're going to talk about it real quick Uh, because there's the issue of sexual harassment for women, um, in the company of men, right? It's a, it's a thing, right? So can you talk to me about the tailhook scandal, explain it better, and explain how women are dealing with sexual harassment in, in those positions, and of course, how the policy, uh, how the commanders are dealing with it as well?
1: So a lot of the you know, sexual harassment, um, the command climate starts at the top. You know, if the commander makes it clear that sexual harassment is not going to be tolerated. That helps to set an environment where men will not, you know, will not harass women. Now, you're always going to have your bad actors, right? <laughs> you know, but, but in general, you know, if a commander comes in and says, hey, you know, we've got a woman coming into the squadron, you need to get all the pornography off the wall, and you need to clean up your act. Um, in fact, I was the first woman to serve in a In a unit at the pentagon uh back in the uh, early 1990s and one of the guys told me um before i showed up he said he said one of the he said the commander the colonel came in and said hey, you, you need to clean up your, you, you know, you need to clean up your language, you know, <laughs> if there's any porn laying around, you need to get rid of it, you know, I'm not going to, because there was a bunch of fighter pilots, you know, and who were in desk jobs, and, and he was, I think, a little bit worried, you know, <laughs> and so, but, you know, when you set that command climate that says, look, you know, she's like everybody else, and we're not going to harass her, um, it makes a big difference, and, and that command climate did not exist in the Navy in the 1980s and, you know, early 1990s. They, they, that was very uh there was a lot of misogynist you know behavior um a lot of pornography and um i mean there were men at the at tailhook who were wearing t-shirts that said women are property on them i mean it was just I mean, it's almost mind-boggling to to think how bad it was so and and what year was years, that
0: tailhook, uh, scandal do you remember the year
1: yeah it was 1991 so yeah yeah 1991 so it was right after the gulf war and so and, and and there were some women there, because there were women pilots in the Navy, even though they weren't, you know, allowed to fly combat. And um, so there were some women there. And they were, you know, the men at that time weren't very accepting of the women in the Navy, uh, in, in naval aviation. It's interesting that the Navy started training women first, but, but they were never really fully accepted in, in, into aviation early on, so um but anyway things have been getting worse and worse over the years um it had been de- de- degenerating you know there was a lot of partying a lot of alcohol and they they had started um they had started this um uh what do you call it the line where you have to run through the line and and um now my brain can't remember the name of that so yeah. <laughs> I don't know what's that <laughs> gauntlet yeah the gauntlet I sorry yeah yeah <laughs> anyway so they had this gauntlet and and, and so women women would like come into the hall and they would literally like grab them and paw them and, you know, do just all kinds of horrible, horrible things to them. So, and, uh, and everybody was really drunk, you know, and it was just, it was just one of these things, like I said, it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And the leadership had to have known this was going on. There were admirals at the conference. There were senior civilians at the conference, but they did nothing to stop it. You know, they, they, I wouldn't say they explicitly Condoned it, you know, but they certainly by inaction let these younger folks think that this was, you know, okay behavior. And anyway at t- this particular tail hook somebody finally complained and it had gotten so bad that that, that, that several women complained several women came forward and there was this huge investigation uh, a lot of admirals uh, some civilians got fired um, uh, just it the investigation actually went on for a couple of years and um, the results were the results came out um, just prior to them opening combat aircraft to women so
0: right yeah. uh, so so that's kind of where that stands in terms of today is it no longer the boys locker room and it's now a workplace is that what's changed
1: it, yes it's it's gotten a lot better so yeah i i can't you know i'm not I, I don't work with the navy a lot but as far as i can tell it's become you know really moved away from that kind of, of behavior. So yeah. So.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Uh, I want to uh, switch gears a little bit. I, I know there was a thing called the Mercury Thirteen, a group of female pilots who were trained as astronauts. I think that's very interesting because a lot of astronauts do come from the Air Force or or, or the Flying Corps, right? Um, but they were not selected because they were women. Is that true?
1: Right. Right. It's NASA. Yeah. NASA at the time was only taking. Uh, well, technically, they were, it's not that they were not taking women, but they were only at that time taking, you had to be like a test pilot, you had to have an engineering degree, you know, all of these qualifications that essentially made it impossible for a woman to apply or just about impossible for a woman to, to qualify. So.
0: Right. So so that's kind of what happened with, with NASA and, and the astronauts.
1: Right, right. So
0: yeah. Now, now, now today we do have. Uh, there's a new uh, Artemis is going up, and I believe there's a, a, a lady who's going to be uh, playing a significant role on yes. the on the flight. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so things have so, definitely changed, right?
1: Oh, definitely. So yeah, yeah. So, yeah.
0: Okay. Let, let's let's talk about Ukraine. I, I know uh, there's women in combat right now in Ukraine. Um, what is the U.S. position on that, and what do you know about that?
1: So I really don't know uh, much. Um, I mean what I've read in the papers uh, it sounds like about 20% of the Ukrainian force is made up of women and uh, it's, it, they uh, apparently have all kinds of frontline roles and and they seem to be doing very well. I mean obviously the Ukrainians have the upper hand in the, you know in that in that conflict right now so um, but beyond that I don't I don't really know. Um I don't really know much about the details of anything that's going on. So, right. It yeah. just seems
0: like internationally uh when um if if a country has issues with women in the military, they change them real quick when things get tight. Is that r- about right?
1: They ch- I'm sorry, they change the
0: They changed oh. their tune when things get oh. tight, you know. Right, you gotta, right, when, when things start go, getting tight. The Soviet Union had to fight there was eighty eighty million 80 million people uh, was it 40 million Soviets killed in World War II. Uh that's a lot of people and uh they were, you know, fighting for the life of their country. So necessity right. kind of pushed everybody into that position even if some people had negative attitudes towards it you know that's what it seems like to me you know anyway right, um, right. okay now i want to fast forward with with women's rights currently being challenged uh in the USA today uh there's issues all over the country that everybody's just freaking out on right um are there any political groups aiming to remove women from the military service or even limit their roles do you know of any right now going on
1: so i don't know if any any um I don't know of any groups that uh, are actively working to remove military or remove women from the military completely. Um, There are some groups that are very against, uh, you know, women in uh, ground combat and are trying to, you know, prevent women from making further gains in that area. Um, Yeah, that's been very slow to introduce women to to ground combat. Um, Obviously, it's a very different environment than your ships and, and airplanes and so it has been very slow but at the same time you know if if a woman can do the job if she's the best person to do the job you know, she ought to be able to do it <laughs> so, yeah, and you put your life
0: on the line i mean what's you know that's that you know what i mean what, what's to say about that that's the amazing sacrifice right right right. Make, right yeah so, so yeah it, it's again it's all about making,
1: i'm sorry I mean,
0: I'm, go ahead uh, you go ahead please speak go ahead. i was sorry. just gonna
1: say it's all about making sure that commanders have the best people and if the best person for the job is a woman, then they ought to have that person there. So, yeah, right,
0: exactly. Okay. So let's talk about today's fighter pilots. Um, how many women are, are, are in today's fighter pilots uh, core for, for the Air Force right now? Do you know?
1: it's i don't know the exact number i know it's a it's still a very small percentage it's somewhere around two or three percent so
0: two or three percent okay yeah and, and is that kind of where it's going to stay is that kind of where you think it's going to go for the future or do you think that number is going to get higher with women coming on more and more i
1: i would hope it would get higher you know we have in the air force the air force and dod in general in the air force in particular is about 20 percent women um so you know, you'd expect that if we have twenty percent women, that twenty percent of our fighter pilots would be women. Well, not even twenty percent of our pilots are women. So you know, let alone our fighter pilots. So you know, I, I would you know, I would say that in general, in this country, in the United States, women. Are much less active in aviation than men are. Um, if you look at airlines, for example, only about five percent of airline pilots in, in the U.S. are women. So, so it's kind of a cultural thing. Yeah.
0: And, and so, how do you ac- exactly explain that? Because um, what is that? A, go ahead and give me the explanation for that.
1: I think a lot of it's cultural. You know, I think women are not introduced to aviation uh, like men are. Uh, you know, at an early age, Um, there are programs now that are trying to correct that, that are trying to do more outreach to women at an early age and get them interested in aviation and flying and let them know that those opportunities are there. Um, but, uh, But I think a lot of it has just been cultural. Aviation still is very male-based. It's very male-centric. Um, equipment is designed for men. Uniforms are designed for men. You know, <laughs> the whole culture is very, the language is very gendered or, you know, gendered towards men.
0: Next question for you. Okay. Let, uh, in terms of uh, your book right now, t- tell our, our listeners and people around the, the world right now, what's the best way to get your book?
1: the The best way to to get the book is uh, to pre order it right now. It'll start shipping in May, um, and you can get it at Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Um, you know, there's links. A lot of the independent bookstores are carrying it as well. As well so, um, and if you go to um, Simon and Schuster uh, if you, actually if you type my name and Simon and Schuster, uh, it will pop up, and there will be links to various places where you can go buy the book. So.
0: Okay, and it's coming out in May what?
1: It's uh, the the release date is technically um, May 23rd.
0: May 23rd. Okay, perfect. And um, are you going to be also doing some speaking tours? Are you going to be speaking to others around the country about this issue?
1: Yes, I'm planning to do that. So yes, ah, fabulous.
0: Okay, well, great. Listen, I, I want to thank you for uh, definitely being on VT Radio and explaining this to all of our listeners. I think women in combat is a big issue when it comes to uh, you know we we cover foreign policy on on VT, right? So there's you know military issues around the world, wars around the world, and and women definitely in combat. So I want to thank you for bringing bringing this to the attention of our people. And uh, I want you to have a fabulous day.
1: Okay, thank you. Thank you for having me on. If you enjoyed this presentation, hit the like button now. Also, share it with your friends. And don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. VT approves this message.